You're listening to the Outpost Podcast with Dr. Ray Mitch. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Outpost Podcast. I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. And uh, right out of the gate, before I even get started on the podcast, I want to send out a hearty thanks to um, my family and all the people that braved the elements to come out on a snowy Saturday afternoon uh, to uh, join in the the uh, I wouldn't call them festivities, but join in the the uh, celebration of bringing uh, seasons of our grief um, to the, the the public to give have people actually f- buy it and find out about it. And I was I was indeed very honored uh, that people would come out and uh, ask me to sign a few books. Not that it helps with my handwriting. I'm sure many of them are still trying to figure out exactly what I wrote. Um. But all the same, it it uh, it is it was an honor. It was a privilege to have people come there, including my family. Uh, it was it was uh, a a wonderful afternoon to have them there, including my two grandsons, uh, Grayson and Desi, and uh, and just to let them get a window into uh, my life at CCU and meet a few of of my students and and it was it was a i think pretty much of a good time was had by all um and it was an opportunity for me to give some of the backstory and everything else so um we also had the the privilege of having uh Mike Clausen the CEO of Illumify Media be, to, to be there uh, to also congratulate and to celebrate with us he that this was actually his brainchild to suggest to me that I, I do this. I n- I've never done anything like this before. And so uh, it was it was nice to have him. He uh, he gave the people there an uh, idea of uh, what the inner workings of bringing a book to market is like, and including 20 different readings. And uh, he, uh, he, he read a quote from Winston Churchill about when you write something, it starts out as a toy or as a fun item, and then it turns into a mistress, and then it turns into a tyrant, and then you release the tyrant into uh, the public's hands. and And I, I really could, I definitely could relate to that. Mike has had some great experiences; has written many books, and uh, so he is a great uh, friend, but also a a uh, supporter and encourager for this odyssey that I've been on in writing this particular book. So uh, if you're interested and you want to see uh, what what happened there and get a little bit of a flavor of what, what we did, um, I talked a little bit. I read a few excerpts from the book, and then I also uh, took some time to uh, do a short Q&A with anybody that was there. And, uh, and then we took time to sign a few books and and uh, hug a few necks and and uh, be able to visit and spend some time together. So uh, if you want to see that, and if you want to see any other information to be had about Seasons of Our Grief, uh, there is actually 
now a website. Uh, it is called seasonsofourgrief.com, and you can go to it, and there you will see a video explaining um, the backstory to uh, the, the book. Uh, you'll see a short, a little gallery of, of some of the pictures of the people that were kind enough to come out, and then also uh, you'll, you can actually see the, the um, short video of uh, a recording of, of the uh, book launch little program or whatever you want to call it that we did at the very beginning. So uh, thanks again for all of you guys that came out. I appreciate you and appreciate you coming out and supporting me. It is a, an immense privilege and honor to do that. On that same note, it is very much of a privilege of mine to take some uh, to share some time with you here on uh, the Outpost podcast. Um, and if you're new and you're coming because you've heard about that or you saw about the book or something else, somebody bribed you, I don't know what, what would be the reason for you to come to listen to it. But the, the outpost, the podcast itself, is devoted to exploring the intersection of faith, psychology, and spiritual formation. And what, we're trying, what, what I'm trying to do is to create this space where doubters and wounded and confused and bent and bruised and beat up and beat down people that feel like their lives are a disappointment to God can feel accepted enough to be known and know others. And, you know, the question would be, well, how do you do that through a podcast? Well, I, I suppose some of the things that I talk about is to prompt thinking, for one, maybe even some some consideration, and also just questions. And if you have questions, then ask them and then we can, we can continue the, the dialogue and the opportunity to talk. Um, we, we are in the process, certainly as part of Stained Glass International, we're in the process of forming outpost groups on the website. They'll first initially be online because that's probably the most uh, uh, easy way to get people together. My hope would be that we would eventually um, get in-person groups going on location of, of people that are interested in doing life together, maybe on certain topics like grief and loss, for example, or um, some of the material that I've put together around shame and grace as well. So uh, there, there are opportunities there. We just need to, to, to know who out there is interested and for you to hit the website and join the community uh, and we will be sending out newsletters uh, pe periodically. I, I'm not going to say monthly, but that's probably a little too ambitious for the things we have going on. But um, periodically to let you know what the what's coming up on the podcast and and uh, the retreats that we're sponsoring and some other devotional reading that you might be interested in as well. Um, hopefully to be an encouragement to you. So you got to join the community to get access to that. Um, so that's that. Okay. And I, I, I appreciate and am honored that you took some time out of your busy schedule to, to listen in. I am sitting here on a Sunday night and, um, I, I offer a, I'm not going to say hearty, but, uh, a congratulations to the Kansas city chiefs for repeating as super bowl champs. Um, it, it, uh, I, I have had the opportunity over the years of my life of watching NFL football, reaching all the way back to longtime Hall of Famers, um, to to watch this march of amazing athletes like 
Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy and all the people that were part of that game. And it was it was a wonderful game, a fun game to watch. It was a thriller. And oftentimes you don't get that in a Super Bowl. So um, it was great. Congratulations to the Chiefs. I hope you lose next year. So um, now where was I? Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sort of kidding. So uh, why do a series at the beginning of the year on grief and loss? And I, my firm belief is, is that um, – much like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross commented on, and she said that uh, because we live we live our lives as if they will never end, we end up putting off the things that we really need to do. And, and it also contributes to the purposelessness in our lives because we, we, don't, we think there's no end to them. And so th- there's an importance to this subject because I believe it gives depth to life Actually, it's not as sad. It it is sad. Certainly, a loss is, and experiencing grief is sad. But at the same time, it adds depth and and richness to the importance of our um, relationships in life. And so, uh, that's why I started it. Not to mention, it coincided with that the, the um, launch of my book as well. And and those two kind of go together ultimately. So that's why we're starting it. Once this series is over, we will start up a spiritual formation series, um, and that will go for a while, and and uh, that will probably start next week. And I will start in on talking a little bit about the journey of the spiritual journey and what it, what it looks like with the benefit of, of some uh, authors that I have been able to learn from. So... Um, so where are we? We, we finished, we talked when we started the series, we talked about kind of the misconceptions we have around grief. And then we looked at winter as the first season of our grief. Now, the reason that I come up with seasons is because seasons tend to capture the sense of what grieving, grieving people experience in their grief. Usually it's not these kind of succinct, uh, bright-edged categories or stages we go through. That once I get through that, then I go to the next one, and then I go to the next one. When I finally get to the last one, then I'll be done. And that 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 couldn't be further from the truth. It doesn't match our experience. Although we spe- seem to spend a lot of time uh, spouting that and proposing that to people. Well, this is just the stage of grief you're in, and. And I think it, it creates false expectations around it. So I, I'm proposing um, to consider and look at grief from a seasonal point of view, that we go through winter, and it's a time when everything is dead. And the task, and that, that's the other thing about my seasons, is that there's a task to be accomplished during that time, and there are, there are traits to that season, and that we talk about that so that people can be aware of what it is they're going through. And, it, you know, one of the things that people say all the time is, I just, I, I feel like I'm going crazy. Well, listening to these traits, you begin to realize that this is fairly normal. This is kind of part of the landscape of grief at the time. And then there are tools. There are tools to be used during that particular season that makes perfect sense to us in the physical world. We use a snowblower to move snow, not leaves in the fall. 
um, and we don't use it to mow our lawns and those kinds of things. So there, there are tools to be had. So task, tool, traits, and tools. And in, in the winter, the task is to accept the re- reality of what has happened. There are a variety of traits in winter, including numbness and denial and uh, denying the significance of maybe the person or the event, any number of things like that that are very much a part of winter. And then we get into spring and everything wakes up. All of my emotions wake up, all of my thoughts and um, ways of trying to manage and contain the pain during that time wake up. And so that particular task then is processing that pain um, during that time. And there are a variety of traits. Usually that's when physical symptoms show up and psychological or cognitive symptoms show up. There are a variety of things that show up there in the, um, in the characteristics or traits. And then tools during this spring are, are still remaining active. It may include counseling. It might include a support group. Um, it would include always in all of these, this is the one characteristic that is used or the true tool that is used throughout all of the seasons, and that is journaling and learning how to journal um, is an important aspect, I think, of the the grieving process. And so um, spring, things wake up. I try to survive and deal with the process, the pain. Sometimes there's forgiveness that has to be worked through. Uh, there is regret that has to be worked through. There's a variety of shame that shows up during that time. It, it, there's things about grief that has a way of revealing our beliefs to us. And that's one thing that shows up in spring. In summer, we oftentimes will get fooled into thinking we're done because we're feeling better. Uh, and just like summer in the physical seasons, um, we, we get more active, we start trying new things, and we start adjusting, readjusting to life without the person in, in, in our world. And so, but like I said, we, we tend to oftentimes get um, fooled into thinking we're done when we really aren't. And, and we're, we're reminded of that by um uh, being hijacked by our emotions during summer and as we talked about the fact that summers are not there are not bright lines from one season to the next we can be coming out of winter and going into spring have a 60 degree day and the next day have 30 inches of snow so there's this overlap of seasons and that's true with our grief as well and summer the same and so uh, summer, we get fooled into thinking we're done. We're not quite done. We need to do some, some work there in terms of journaling and so forth. And then we get to the last one. And, and um, it, it's summer is about the task is to readjust to the world without the person in it, uh, maybe without a dream in it. I mean, remember that loss is loss, whether it's the death of a person or whether it's a death of a dream or a death of an image or other things that are that die, and I have the same very similar process. It's not exactly the same, uh, but it has a lot of the same features to it. And so when we finally get around to fall, 
um, the task here is to withdraw our emotional energy from that the person that we have lost and reinvest it in other relationships. And that sounds really nice and neat and clean and all that kind of stuff, but it really isn't that easy. And and I I that's what I want to talk about talk about tonight. And I'm going to real quickly take a drink here because my throat is getting very dry. Okay, so um how do we go about doing this? And one of the big things that I think we experience during fall, um, and depending on where in the country you are, when I've had people be in the fall of their grief, all right, they say that it seems like color has come back into their world. So they've readjusted their world, and but yet there's still a little bit of a grayness to it. And when fall finally comes around, it, color seems to come back into relationships and their energy is sustained, which starts in the summer and then continues into the fall. And things seem new and different, but more vibrant and more vital, filled with life. And But we have to find a way to withdraw the emotional energy from the person we've we've said goodbye to and reinvest it in other relationships. And quite naturally, one of the biggest traits here is feeling like we're being disloyal to the person that um, has, has left, has died. And that disloyalty oftentimes gets in the way of future relationships, the reinvestment in other relationships. Because the reality is, is, and I think at some level we all know it, that as we, if we embark, and this is exactly what gets in the way, if we embark on the process of grieving, not only do we have a loss at the front end of it because of the person's dying or things changing or whatever, or relationship being lost or anything like that, after going through this process, there's a final... There's a final goodbye. There's a final uh, loss, if you will, that we face. And that's exactly oftentimes what undermines our willingness to go through this process. Because I think at some level, we, we know that that's waiting for us at the end. And we really don't want to do that. And that one, I, I still remember very vividly. And so there's a certain level of disloyalty in reinvesting in a different relationship, in moving on with life, moving into life, not moving on or leaving behind. It's not that, because the reality is for us as humans, Psalm describes us as having eternity in our hearts. We can carry the images and the memories and things like that of the person lost in our hearts and bring them with us into the next season of our lives. And so we, in spite of the feelings of, of being dishonoring or being disloyal, saying goodbye doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean that I act like they've never been around or anything like that. They will always have space in our heart and that will always be the place for them. And we carry it with us. 
we always often, not always, but we will often draw on that to do a comparison to the person in real life. And that's dangerous as well because it's still trying to keep the other person still present in our lives rather than saying a goodbye and and moving into the next season, as I said. So in a lot of cases, people get very frightened by the pot prospect of investing their emotions somewhere else. And one of the biggest issues to that is trusting again and trusting to that if I invest in this, I won't get hurt. And while exceedingly unrealistic because of humans and the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of us, for that matter, that that trust is is always going to carry a risk with it. If it's there isn't risk, it's not really trusting. And so we we reinvest our emotions elsewhere, but it pushes buttons about it. Well, if you do this, this is where it's going to lead, and they will leave too. And that interferes with relationships down the road. And essentially what we end up trying to do here is we try to prevent loss again. And the best outcome of grief is us growing into, and I don't say being, all right, us growing into a willingness to live with the fragility that life has for us. Now, we do everything in our power to make it look less fragile and to keep it under our our control so that we suffer less losses. But what happens then is loss is a becomes a a tyrant. It becomes a hostage taker of our emotions and our our opportunities to choose because I'm doing everything I can to make sure it doesn't happen. And by doing so, I end up inadvertently doing everything I can to not engaging in life because life has risk. And I, I know that may seem like something Captain Obvious might say, but at the same time, trust and risk always go together. Always. You can't have one without the other. The same thing is also, the opposite of that is also true, is that trust and control cannot coexist. So trust and risk always go together. Trust and control always lead apart. Either you do one and not do the other, or you do the other one and and that uh, the trust piece goes out. So it's understandable. I, I, I think what has to be said here with some measure of grace is it is entirely understandable that we would be gun-shy about relationships. Entirely. I, I get it. I, I live that. I lived it for quite some time, even after my dad died. And I was like, I will never love again. I am done with this. This pain is too great. I don't want to feel it again. And unfortunately we make oaths that we that can very much interfere with our relationships into the future in a lot of ways and those oaths even though we forget about them they still put us on a trajectory 
of being in relationships with people where we're hedging our bets against getting, uh, being losing the person, okay? And so we will oftentimes hang on to the past attachment we had with the other person rather than detaching from them and attaching to the world, the new world we're in. And, and like I said, in fall, all the colors are vibrant and alive. And here in Colorado it is just a fire with yellow because of all the aspens in our mountains. And I, I've grown up in the Midwest. It's just this bursting with color. If you've ever flown into places in the Midwest, you, you know exactly what I mean. So there is a very much of a temptation to hang on to the past in order to not lose the past. And by doing so, we end up choking off the past by trying to hang on to it. And that's that's the danger here. I It's not something that you're going to hear me say necessarily, don't do that. We probably will do it. The issue isn't whether we do or we don't, the more the issue is, is when I do, what will I do? And how do I, how do I handle that? So usually the answer is push it into relationship. Bring it up with somebody who you, you believe understands, who appreciates the value of bringing those kinds of things up. And maybe who has had some similar experiences that they're not too quick to try to fix your pain or fix your grief. They're willing to live with you in it and be a part of it with you. And so fall, while it marks the, the waning days of our grief and our healing, our active healing process, what do we have coming next? Everybody knows, right? Just winter again. So before I get to what's next, let me let me just talk about tools of fall. First of all, a lot of times, and I know I did this, I know that I had my characters in my book do this, is writing a letter that says goodbye. That says goodbye. And we hate saying goodbye. We absolutely hate it. We hate the finality of it. Um, we, we hate the, the kind of vulnerability that it brings to us because it's a recognition of the reality in which we live. And even to the final days of our process of grief, we, there will still be resistance within us, I think, to saying goodbye, but it's, it's a necessary step to take. And it may take multiple iterations of that letter. I mean, in my case, yeah, it was probably five or six different iterations of the letter I wrote to my dad to say, I finally, I said goodbye. And I told him, you know, what I was going to do into the future, how I was going to try to reinvest in life and all of those things. No, the reality is, 
is for me, because that was 10 years after my dad died, for me, there was an element of looking back and looking forward, because here I was 22, I lost my, I, my dad died when I was 12, and I was actively moving into my future at breakneck speed at 22. And so saying goodbye was a necessary thing because otherwise I'm straining against a reality of the past that I don't want to uh, make relevant enough to impact me in the present. But when I... when I recognize it in my present and actually say goodbye to it in my present, it actually will release me into my future. And that's a key, a very, very important point. And I think that's where writing a letter of goodbye is often helpful. And, and people structure it a variety of ways. Sometimes because of maybe some troubled relationships, what I've had people do is, is you know, write a letter of four parts, for example. Um, the first part is uh, the, what, uh, how you affected me in, in my relationship, for good and bad, in our relationship, for good and bad. You, you put it all down. Secondly, what part did I have to play not taking responsibility for things that are not mine, because I, I, you know, oftentimes kids in a relationship with an adult have far less responsibility simply because they don't know, they don't they don't have life to draw on in that relationship. It's a dependent relationship, but there are other things that we we look at that we kind of set free our regret of our relationship with that person, and then um, what what I would need from you now, which is a strange question to say of somebody who has died. But I think sometimes we have to name things in order to have them be free. And naming that I need you to be able to, I need you to let me go. Now, obviously, they're gone. So there's nothing for them to let me go. But I I need to give words to the stuff that's going on within me. And then finally, what do I plan to do? This is what I plan to do with my future, with my life. I, I am very grateful for you know the role that you may have played. Um, in, in Again, good and ill. Sometimes people play a very poor role in our lives, but they have set us up in a way that we can only see after, not during. We can only see after that they have impacted us for the good, even in spite of the evil that may have been part of our relationship with them. And, and that's hard. There is no expectation to be seen at that moment. And it still may be hard at this point, too. And that's fine. That is perfectly fine. And that's, that structure that I just gave you is not a prescription. It's not. Uh, mix and match according to your needs or wants in terms of writing a letter about that. Another tool would be continuing to journey about the new experiences that you have and the new relationships you have. Um, It's an appropriate time to, again, give substance to what you're doing now and what efforts and 
challenges you're facing and what new joys you're experiencing and all of that, that's very much a part of what a journalist for is to, to recognize and identify the things that have, that have been a part of our lives. This is also a really good time, and I'm not saying this just because I've been a counselor for eons and eons, but counseling is a, this is a pretty good time for counseling uh, just to get a checkup about where you are in the grieving process and how you're doing and, and learning to develop maybe a healthy spiritual perspective about your loss and where you are and what the journey ahead looks like and things like that that I think are very much a part of the toolkit, if you will, for our fall. So let me get back to what I had started a minute ago, and that is what's next? Because we all know in the physical world, once fall is over, winter's right around the corner, which is what we're in now, right? Winter's right around the corner, and then spring, and then summer, and then fall again, right? And the second year after somebody has died, for example, is littered with anniversaries we can anticipate, like birthdays and weddings and, and uh, you know, death dates and, you know, all of that. Those things we can, we can anticipate. There are lots that we can't. And, and at least in psychology, we talk about them as anniversary reactions. But we may not even recognize those or understand those. When I was young, I had no idea the significance of April 11th. That was when my dad died. And I, I had, I, it never dawned on me why April brought a certain sense of foreboding to me, even though April is usually a pretty good month in the, in the pantheon of spring. But it was an anniversary. And so it's not that the seasons are going to stop. I think our attitudes change about those seasons as we continue to move through them. We're not in active healing mode because we've done a lot of that work in the first year or two. And the second year, like I said, is a lot of the anniversaries and, and the readjustment and the reinvestment and all of that sort of thing. But it, it, the active healing is over, but now I have to figure out, now what, right? Now how do I move on in life and my relationships and the things that, that I experience now? And will I still get twinges of disloyalty and dishonoring? Yeah, I will. I will. The question is, what do I do with them? Either I, I welcome them, which sounds crazy, right? Or, and say, yeah, this is, this, this is still a tender part of my heart. And it's going, to, it's going to react when it's touched. And touched by a person or a relationship or any new activity, like getting married. And, and I, I've, I've married people that had a parent who died. And they, they feel this wistful kind of melancholy because they're not there to be part of those festivities with them and that celebration with them, it's understandable. It is entirely understandable. So I think it, what comes next is a learning a new level of grace with our own humanity, which is always connected to our grief. 
It is always connected to our grief. The journey of grief is the journey into our humanity. And that's what's so important to keep in mind when we, when we look at this, um, this journey of grief. And that is exactly why one of the reasons the subtitle for my book is Embracing the Journey. Because either we can put the brakes on and drag the, the, our heels all the way through it, and usually not a whole lot of healing will happen. Plenty of time will pass, but not a whole lot of healing will happen. And versus how do I embrace it and move into it and let the feelings and the hurt and the pain and the longing and the, the missing of the person, all of those exist which is entirely overwhelming, but is very much of the healing process. And over time, and dependent to some degree on our willingness to lean into those things, they become less and less dominant and less and less influential. They are no less important, but they're a lot less influential. And that is, that's what that's the key. That's the thing that points to the healing that we are experiencing. So we, we have the seasons, right? The, the, uh, winter and spring and summer and fall. And we just finished off with fall bursting with color. The task is to reinvest and to, to, uh, withdraw our emotional energy from the person that we've lost and that's the task and that takes time every season takes time it is not well i'm in spring now let's let's uh you know let's let the feelings roll here and get overwhelmed by them no that's that's not what this is about it's continuing to walk through life and as life as we experience life we experience things about our journey that we couldn't possibly foresee and we may have to learn a new skill and we can do that Uh, we may need companions for the journey that's what counselors are for and trusted friends and support groups and things like that and we need to build up our toolkit of things that we need to use during each of these seasons and that's true for fall as well and it's not the end it's far from the end because we continue, right? Winter comes next and we continue on into the passage of time and relationships and everything else. So that what that does, and these last four episodes I've attempted to do, is to give you kind of a bird's eye view, literally a 30,000 foot view of what the seasons of our grief looks like. And, and in my book, you get to meet two very special people, young people, not not old people, young people who have had unique losses in their lives, and you get to walk with them. And how often do we get that opportunity? We usually we don't, yeah, you know, unless it, obviously within our own families and our own losses. But we don't really get that opportunity to hear their interior thinking or their reactions to particular people in their lives or the platitudes that are tossed at them or the spiritual crises they go through or things like that. We don't ever get that opportunity at all. So um, that, that this book hopefully will accomplish that end. And if you're interested and you want to purchase 
a copy of the book, you can go to the website at sgi-net.org. That is our digital home. Um, and so when I, let, me, let me just transition here. That's all for tonight. We've finished fall. We're going to start a new series next week. But if you want to buy a copy of the book, I would encourage you to do that. There are a couple different links on the website. You can either go Amazon or Barnes & Noble, whichever you prefer. Um, or you can buy it through our digital store, um, and it will be drop shipped to you by my publisher, Ingram Spark. So uh, you can do that as well. And and uh, actually, if I think I think if you go through our pub, my publisher, uh, you'll actually pay less than you will on um, Amazon. You may not get it as fast, but it's it's fifteen dollars there, so um, that link will be up for your uh, use as well on the website at sgi-net.org. That's the home for all of the SGI community. If you have questions, you can DM me on Instagram or you can uh, leave a comment on the website. Please join the community there so that we can build up our community of, of friends and people that that are committed to living life together this way, and um, and and are are following along with the kind of materials that I'm talking about. Uh, that hopefully are uh, catalysts for your thoughts and uh, your. Uh, considerations about life and things like that. So you can subscribe by joining the community. You'll be told when things change. Uh, another big item on the website that we have is our digital devotionals. It's called Setting New Boundaries. It, it You'll get a devotional every week that helps you to learn about healthy relationships and boundaries and everything else like that. Um, if, if you want to follow us, you can do that on Instagram at SGI underscore international. Um, so at SGI international at in, on Instagram at Facebook, Ray.Mitch and, um, LinkedIn DR Mitch. So you can find us in those three outlets. If you, if you're just interested in the podcast, then you can probably find us on wherever you consume or listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or wherever. So um, <clears throat> if you would like to, there is also, while you're there at the, on the digital uh, SGI digital store, you'll see merchandise to promote SGI and, and the Seasons of Our Grief. So uh, you can get window stickers. There will probably be some other things that we will put, put up there to make it interesting. Um, if you're only interested in the Seasons of Our Grief, you can go to seasonsofourgrief.com and that will take you directly just to that page and you'll have an opportunity to look, see the backstory. You can see the video of our uh, book launch um, and just a photo gallery of, of the people that were, like I said, kind enough to come out um, yesterday. So um the next series, like I said, coming up is going to be uh, in on the the uh, spirit on a spiritual journey. What that all means. Um, the the uh, I think the other thing just to mention is that uh, if you're partnering with us, we are ever so grateful for that. We we want to continue to try to build our foundation of people that are supporting and and building our scholarship fund for our retreats, for people that can't afford to, to 
participate in our retreats. So all all your gifts are tax deductible, um, and we will send you a receipt out if you you do a donation. You can either do a donation there, or you can uh, on the website, or you can send us a physical check. Uh, just make it out to SGI, and the address is PO Box three two two, East Lake Colorado. 80614 and I think that is it for tonight thanks so much for joining me Um, I'll be here next week hope to see you there until then love ya later bye